welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. I am back uh, from uh, whatever the hell I was doing. I think it was at the Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest. Uh, but I, I have to thank my co-host, Nick, uh, and our, our CTA host, uh, Tim, for doing a wonderful job with Pete Johnson on the last episode. Nick, welcome to the show, and uh, good job with uh, Mr. Johnson. Yeah, you know, it was like riding a bike, <laughs> I guess, you know, as you know, the smooth draws days. I was a co-host there. I wasn't the main guy, but I took the shoes. And, uh, you know, I've known Pete for forever, so it was like two old friends having a conversation. And it was uh, hopefully the uh, the audience is going to like that interview. I yeah, no, it was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really well I, I well done. I, I really like the fact that you didn't introduce Tim right off the bat because sometimes <laughs> I'd rather that was not by mistake. That was by mistake. Tim ever. Yeah. Uh that joke. And Tim's a great guy. Um, not really. Uh but speaking of great guys and introducing uh our guest, uh today it's another friend of Nick's who Nick, you've known this, you've known this gentleman how long uh have you known him? Uh at least Going on 10 years, not as long. I mean, I've known of him, but we actually first met on the Smooth Draws. He was a frequent guest uh, on the show, and then we met in person. And, uh, you know, I followed his career for for a very long time. And, um, you know, he's got a very, very uh, illustrious career, and he's been in the business forever. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm proud to call him a friend and uh, a, a very very good mentor and as he has known the professor in the industry like to welcome jose blanco to simply stogies how are you jose hey nick great and uh james uh thank you for the invitation i, I mean i've known nick for around yeah it's around 10 12 years and you know even though i've always said you know to be friends with somebody you know you don't have to be talking every day and uh and to respect the person you don't have to be uh talking with him every day, you just hear what people have to say about other people. Even though, you know, you talk to 100 people and probably 90 say, I don't like Nick, I don't like Jose, I don't like James, but what the hell, we don't fucking care about that. <laughs> but right. at the end of the day, you know, in this business is your credibility, what you do. And, you know, one of the things that we, that, uh, and I'm going to be honest, I don't do a lot of these shows. But when Logan reached out to me and I saw Nick, uh, I didn't know James, I'm going to be real honest. I knew of him, but didn't act with him. I said, absolutely, yes. Because unfortunately, I think the part of the things we're missing in today on cigar media is the educational part. If you want to interview somebody, that's okay. But if you want to talk about facts, about curing, about blending, about making cigars, about what has to be done to tobacco. You know, you've got to have at least certain amount of knowledge to do it. And some of these, you know, people send me, you know, check out this link, see what this guy said. And I go, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And some of them I know and I call them or I, I watch up them, give me a call. Look, I saw your show. You talked about this and this. This is not correct. You should talk about this part or this, this fermentation this way, you know, this temperature. With, you know, I've said it a million times. I can name eight or ten people that know more about tobacco than I do. The only difference between them and me is the knowledge they have, they're going to bring it to the, their grave. And the little knowledge that I have, I'm able to share with other manufacturers with media people, with consumers, with the uh, store owners, and with anybody. That's that's just me, an old guy. 
No, and you know, you bring up a, a, a good point. I think this is a great place to start the show as any is a lot of consumers don't really get into the weeds so much when it comes to uh, tobacco and the curing of tobacco and, and how cigars are really made, right? So if there was one thing that you really wanted consumers to understand uh, about, you know, these these rolled up dead leaves that we smoke and enjoy, what it would that one thing be? Look, to be honest, it's not one thing. It's a, it's a series of things. What I would like people to understand, first of all, how long it takes to make a blend. Because when I hear, and I'm not going to mention names or companies, oh, I went to Nicaragua, I went to Dominican, I went to Honduras, you know, I sat down there, I made a blend, you know, in three days. I go like, man, it's, you guys are, I just, you know, I just go like this, wow, you know. I've been, I've been smoking for 47 and, you know, in the business 40 plus years. And when I used to blend cigars, it would take me, you know, seven, eight months. Some things were a year, year and a half. But a part of that, what people don't understand is the process. And Nick knows a lot about this, for sure. And he visits country that I used to visit also a lot. Which, <laughs> you know, well, that's my now. background in training. Yeah, I know. But. but at the end of the day, what is this, it's all about? Is it really about, okay, you, you grow your crop, 120, 125 days. You pick your, your, your leaves of tobacco. You do the curing fermentation. Correct. But people don't understand that if you pick the leaves too young or you pick them too mature, you're already screwed up. But let's say you did that correct. But then you go to the curing part. When you're curing that tobacco, if by... Let's say carelessness, if it's too hot and you don't have humidity into the curing barn, the leaves are just going to crack like a cracker. So you have to have the right humidity into the, into the curing barn so the leaves can go from the process to green to yellow to brown. But if during that process, you have it, you picked up, you, you pick the leaves, they're already hanging there. And if it's rain, 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 and there's too hum too much humidity, if you do not bring in heat into that, then all the leaves will just go and rot. But let's say you do that process correct. Then you have to go to the fermentation process. If you over-ferment the essential oils, which a lot of people don't understand, it's what gives the flavor of the tobacco or gone. It's like smoking paper. But at the same time, if you under-ferment, what happens, that's where you're going to get that sourness and that bitterness and all that. But let's say we're doing all the process correct, but then you have to go into the aging process. So you hear people say, like, this problem we're having in Ecuador now, which we all know 60 70% of the crop was lost. So I see all these people writing, like, oh, that won't be a problem because uh, we'll have tobacco for next year. And just through my head, I said, what are these guys eating or drinking or smoking? Because the first thing is, you've got to wait a year to grow tobacco again and pray to God that what happened in 2010 and 2011 doesn't happen, that back-to-back -back years, almost all the crops were lost in Ecuador. But after that, you've got to wait at least, at least minimum year and a half to two years. Other companies like us and other companies, you know, tobacco, six, seven, eight, ten years, whatever it is.
But let's say you're already talking about three years. But let's say that you put the tobacco to age well. You left it two and a half years, three years, you made the cigars. Now, you have good old age tobacco, but what else do you need? You need good rollers. Because if you don't have rollers that can bunch a cigar and put that viso and that lijero in the center correctly, so the cigars don't canoe or sideburn or just do not perform, then you have another problem. But after that, let's say you've got good rollers, you made the cigars, good tobacco, then you have to put them to age. So I think that a lot of consumers have to take in consideration that it's a very long process to make good, great cigars. And we know the companies that have been around for 100 years, 80 years, 50 years, 20 years, and even some companies that have been around only 10 years that have made a big difference. It's not about the band. It's not about the box. It's, an about, it's not about the pretty face or the handsome guy with a, a Gucci uh, suit and all that. It's all about the cigar. I don't know what Nick has to say about that. Or Jay, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. No, I think, I think you're right, right, Nick? He's right. Absolutely. I mean, Jose, you know, he made a statement in the beginning and he said, you know, all these blenders are going to take to their grave their process. And the main difference, what what Jose has had such a very varied career, you know, he mentioned he started out, you know, uh, selling cigarettes, you know, he was selling rum, he sold cigarettes, he went into a company, you know, with La Aurora, and then eventually became Blender. And then he thought he was leaving. And then he went and he went with uh, Hoya de Nicaragua. And then but the main thing that he's been doing throughout his whole career has been something that is as important I believe in the whole lifestyle, as Jose knows, but education for me also is very important. And the professor, Jose Blanco, he has kind of made his niche. He has been well known. He doesn't even know how many of these uh, seminars he does. What what Jose does, and when he was in the States, now he's overseas and he's working, obviously, people that don't know. He's with the Arturo Fuente company, and he's helping uh, grow the brand overseas because as well-known as Fuente is here in the United States, one of the top, if not the top brand in the United States. Um, overseas, if people don't know, Habanos kind of had that market share. And even though it's hard to understand that some people may not know Fuente, even if they do know Fuente, they may not have tried it. But now the opportunity has gone so wide open for many various reasons. And now uh, I could see the boom that's going to happen uh, that Habanos, unfortunately, is going to lose that edge. And when people start smoking non-Cuban cigars and realizing, holy shit, this is good stuff, what have we been missing? I don't think they'll ever go back to that. To that, Not that Cuban cigars are bad, it's just different. And when people get that dimension of a non-Cuban cigar with all the various different countries that are representative, one cigar, or even an Apuro, it's going to be great. But anyway, what I wanted to say is Jose does these seminars and if you haven't had the privilege to be at one of his seminars um you're missing on something and if you can ever get the opportunity to witness it jose did you ever record any of your seminars have you ever gotten it on tape and decided to uh, send listen, it out there i've done 
I estimate between I'm, I'm around 2,800 to 2,000. Let, let me just clarify one thing. I yeah. never sold cigarettes. <laughs> uh, what happened was Grupo Leon Jimenez, I was head uh, of the beer department, and for a year, Marble we made is, Marlboro cigarettes. cigarettes. So I was right. the general manager for that. I, I was like the head of sales for that for a year, but I was never a big fan of it. But it was part of a part of my job, and I had to do it. But, you know, talking to uh, of this, you know that we have been in back order, I don't know, for how many years. And, you know, in the last seven, eight years, you know, uh, Fuente Worldwide has been really something amazing. When I started going over there, uh, right now I have 27 countries that uh, are on list to be open, but we don't have enough production. The last country we opened up was Spain three years ago. And Spain has 300 uh, top shops, and we're only around in 35 of them because we don't have enough product. But it's not only been about uh, the crisis that Habanos has been going through. And you know, uh, you know, I used to go to Cuba a lot. I don't, I don't go there anymore. I still have a lot of friends there, but you know, I right. feel the pain uh, of the Cuban people, which I have the utmost uh, respect for them. But the problem is when people ask me, what's the best cigar in the world? I tell them, well, to be honest, the one I have in my mouth and a free one. But joke aside, no country, this is my personal opinion, no country produces better tobacco or better cigars than other. What people don't understand is that because of the soil, because of the climate, because of the man, because... Uh, of the growing techniques, but more than anything else, the soil, tobaccos taste different. And I'll give an example. You take Havano seed and you grow it in the Steli, what are you gonna get? You're gonna get a lot of spice, a lot of earthiness. But if you grow that same seed in Jalapa, you're gonna have more sweetness to it. If you grow it in Ometepe, you're gonna have like like it's not a it's not a bad bitterness, but it's like a little, uh, like a, a bite, like a bit, like a bite, maybe of a of a, like of Connecticut, but also with an earthy, but some kind of sweetness. And if you do it in Condega, you're gonna pick something different up. So it's the same thing if you grow piloto cubano in La Canela, and you grow it in Acagua, and you grow it in Gurabo, you grow it in San Victor. All the tobacco, even though it's the same seed, it's going to be different. Now, what makes the difference, but all the three, the four main countries, which is Nicaragua, Honduras, Dominican Republic, and Cuba, is the conditions, how we are making cigars, how we are aging tobacco. And to be honest, the way that we treat the most important element in a company, which is the human factor. While we have rollers making $200, $250 a week, and in Honduras, it's around $160, $170, in Nicaragua's more or less give or take. A Cuban roller who's doing regular production is making $14 a month. A guy who's doing limitadas is 16 A guy who's doing regional is 18 And the ones that work on those special projects, that some of those cigars are sold for $400, is making $20 a month. It's not a day. It's not an hour. It's a month. So that makes a huge, huge difference the way 
that the uh, companies in uh, the three other countries, and even Mexico and, you know, other people, even in the States, and we know the rollers in the States are the, are the best paid rollers in the world. <laughs> <laughs> right, That's Nick? true. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, I, I'm very blessed to be able to sit here with both of you because the two of you have forgot more about the cigar industry uh, than I'll ever know. Uh, so I, 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 I'm, I'm truly humbled to be able to sit here and kind of pick both of your brains and I get to pick Nick's all the time. Uh, so I, I'm really uh, grateful to yeah, talk to you. Keep mine out of it right yeah. now. We got Jose on. We got Jose, <laughs> we got on, Jose right. on. Jose, let me, let me ask you this because you, you talked a lot about uh, the, the process and, and, and it's not the band and it's, it's, it's the, the tobacco. It's, it's everything that went into making this, right? But Definitely. at the end of the day, there's still an element of marketing that goes into it. But what's interesting about Arturo Fuente is that I don't want to say it's generic marketing because it's not because Carlito's the face and Carlito probably one of the nicest guys in the industry. Everyone knows him. He, he does a lot for his people. He does a lot for the people of the Dominican Republic uh, and he does a lot for the industry at large. Um, but the band, there's not a lot of marketing that goes into the band. Now with Opus X, that's a different story, but with Arturo Fuente brand, it's just green, red and gold. And that's it. And it's, it's, everyone knows what it is. Um, that comes with time, right? That comes with it, with people getting to know it, but these, you see these new brands on, uh, that come, come to market and you talked about, you know, they may have started a year ago and they've already got a blend. Right. And so talk a little bit about the marketing that goes into it, the marketing, like old school marketing, uh, compared to the new school marketing that we're starting to see, uh, pop up in the industry. You know, the funny thing is, and Carlito has said it many, many times, you know, we don't have an agency. You know, marketing, everything is the ideas that, that come out of uh, Carlito. You know, it's him. Uh, there's two people that, that I've had the pleasure to work with that are two mad scientists, which is Carlito and Ernesto Perez Carrillo, Ernestico. They're like, I've known him for, for years. So Carlito has this creativity with these names. Because, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about history, too. You know, a lot of people see uh, Carlito and see the Fuente. But people don't remember when in 1977 they lost it all and got burned by the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. A year later, they go to Honduras and the factory mysteriously burns down. In 1980, almost broke... They go to the Dominican Republic and start a factory with seven people. Hello, seven people, not 700, not seven, seven people. If you've been to the factory, you'll see that still, you know, it's like a museum. There's no factory in the world like uh, like Fuente. There's no farm like Chateau de la Fuente in the world. And still there's a, a one, that's 120E station wagon that Don Carlos used to go out to buy two bales of filler, a bale of binder, a bale of wrapper, come back, make the cigars, sell the cigars, and do that every day. And today, uh, Puente has over 3,300 employees, and uh, we make millions and millions of cigars. We've been in back order, I don't know, for how many years. But people don't know about the history, what it, what it really takes to. So if you look like the figurados, Everybody's heard the story, Carlito say it a million times. When Carlito wanted to do figurados, the first thing 
the old man, Don Carlos, told him, look, we don't have the molds. We don't even have the rollers. Nobody makes it. But, you know, Don Carlos always, you know, said, go on. And look how many millions of Hemingway's, short stories, bestseller, the untold story, all those things that we make. So Carlito is that that kind of a person. And by the way, some that don't know, I've been friends with Carlito for 35 years, and I have regret every moment of it. But, you know, it is what it is. What can you do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's a marketing genius. He comes up with stuff that I, I don't know what it is. If it's what he eats, if it's what he drinks, if it's what he smokes. He comes up with all these ideas, most of all these things. Who would have thought of using pink? Who would have thought of using yellow? Who would have thought of using green? Would have thought blue? Okay. So it's one, it's like one hit after other, after other, after other. It's, I'm a big Yankee fan. It's, it's like the Yankees when they were there year after year after year. It's been a long time, but, you know, we still have 27 world championships. So, <laughs> Jose, my my favorite thing where he, I, I the first thing I remember, I, I'm a big fan of artwork and, and stuff as well and bands, but there is bar none, no band in the industry that even can hold a stick to the Opus X logo. To me, that is the most regal, fancy, beautiful i mean i remember when i first started smoking in the 90s i went out and bought a hat because i just loved that with the logo because i just love that logo and uh to me it's still the, the i don't know who made it i never asked carlito and i've known him for for even before i was ever in the industry uh, i never asked or maybe i didn't forgotten but man that is a beautiful logo and you're right the stuff that he comes up with i never knew i you know, who makes it, but if he's the guy, you know, I thought he was just on the other end of it, but unbelievable, that Opus X logo. No, he gets into the details. Look, sometimes, you know, I go spend a lot of time with him. I go always in January, spend 10, 12 days with him, then I go throw a cigar and spend time with him. And before that, you know, Carlito and I have been friends, and uh, I would go to the factory, he would go to my house. You know, we had a great relationship. And when I would go to to the factory or he would come over and ask me, what do you want me to bring? I would only ask for two cigars. It would be the Don Carlos, which is my all-time favorite cigar from them because I'm a huge fan of Cameroon. We can talk about Cameroon a little bit later. And mm -hmm. the Añejo. The Añejo 46. Now, after I, I've been with the company, I had smoked the 888 once. And now when I go down there, I... I try to mooch five or six of them and bring it down. But uh, hmm. the things that Carlito comes up with, I mean, it's, uh, it's, you, you gotta be, you gotta be blessed. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, at my age, 73 years old, you know, majority of people should be retired. We're supposed to retire at 65. So for me at 70 to start working again, to me, it wasn't work. Cause people ask me, it's not about the money. And I said, absolutely not. Am I a millionaire? No, but I live in a beautiful apartment. I don't have any debt. I own property. So to me, when we talked, to me, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. Why? Because it's all about the people. It's all about the education. I'm not out there selling cigars because we don't have cigars to sell. I'm out there basically two things, 
telling the story of Fuente and why we're different from every company in the world and educating consumers about misconceptions. I got to tell you something, and you know this just as well as I do, uh, Nick, and, uh, and also James. The simplest thing is that people tend to confuse flavor with strength. Mm-hmm. You can have a mild cigar that's full body and a cigar that's just strength, strength. People see a dark cigar and the first thing that comes to their mind, it's strong. And I can tell you, 60 to 70% of all Maduros, maybe even more, it's just a medium body smoke. Medium. And you'll have then medium to full, and then you'll have a very small group of them. I don't think even 10% that's really, on a scale of 1 to 10, that's really a 10. So people, I tell them, don't ever judge a cigar by the color of the wrapper. Then the misconceptions. A lot of people do not retrohale. And I tell them, at doing the seminar, how many people retrohale? Two people lift their hands. And then I tell them, okay, guys, what do you mean? Inhale? I said, no, retrohale, blow it through the nose. So what I do is I take two, two or three people and I say, okay, take a puff. Let's wait a minute, 90 seconds. Now take a puff again, blow it through your nose. Are the cigars totally different? They go like, wow, I can't believe it. Now, if you don't retrohale, it doesn't mean you're not doing anything wrong. You're just missing the point. Because what do you pick up in your mouth? Where it's sour, sweet, salty, or bitter? But when you retrohale, not that I say it, Scientists say it's more than 260, 270 different notes that you pick up. Because a lot of people say sweetness, but what sweetness are you picking up? Is it the sweetness of a milk chocolate, of a a milk chocolate uh, uh, chocolate? That sweetness, or are you picking up the bittersweet of a Godiva? When people say, well, I'm picking up a spice, but what is it, a black pepper, white pepper? So it's different things that you pick up. So when you retrohale, I encourage everybody who's listening to this program, learn to retrohale. It's even good for the sinus. But if you do it, you will pick up, let's say you've been smoking a cigar for 10 years. And if you start to retrohaling and you love that cigar, you're going to fall more in love with it. And you're going to say to yourself, shit, for the last 10 years, I've been missing all this on this amazing cigar. That's true. No, I, I crack up when I see cigar reviewers, and there's some out there, I'm not going to mention names, that do not retrohale and yet think they can give a review. And I just go, what kind of review can you possibly give a cigar? You know, if I mean, I'm not saying you have to retro to enjoy a cigar, just like Jose said. You can enjoy a cigar fine without ever, ever taking a puff, but you're not going to get, you know, a fraction of what you can get out of a cigar until you retro because the feline in your nose just have so many you could pick up and it's all about memory and taste you know tasting uh tangible food is real easy but tasting smoke you know is a different story and through the nose you get so much more and and i do the same thing jose i always tell people to you know i tell them to take baby steps you know, and, and what a lot, I've seen a lot of these videos when they try to explain on how to retrohale. The biggest thing I see is people try to do all the smoke, you know, through their nose. And you don't have to. You don't have to let it all. Just get a little bit through. Start with baby steps. Get a little. You'll let most of it come out of your mouth in the beginning. And then the more you go and go and go, you'll you'll get the, 
you get the hang of it. It's 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 not a natural thing, but no, once you get no. it, it's good. You know? No, Nick, and the other thing is, I tell people, you don't have to retrohale every time there, you take a puff. Oh, I know. And that drives people, me crazy, too. I, I, I watch everybody do it. What are you doing? I, I said, why do you have to do everything? You know? I am guilty that of you? that. I yeah. am 100% uh, guilty of retrohaling almost every... every I, well, you know, here's the, so here's the thing you guys are talking about, the, the, the retro. It took me forever uh, to learn to do that. When I first started smoking, I watched all the videos, trying to figure out how to do it and, and everything. And I used to smoke cigarettes. So that was easy because you breathe it in, you, you blow it out through your nose, right? But with a cigar, uh-huh. you're not breathing that in. So you're trying to just get it up through, that, na- right, through that nasal cavity. <laughs> uh, and it took me forever to do it. And it's, it's very enjoyable. It is a pleasurable sensation to do that. Uh, and I find that I get a lot more flavor, uh, when I do that. So it has become habit to literally almost every time I have to catch myself. I'm like, Jesus, how many times am I going to retrohale this cigar? And I just, you know, don't do it for a few You know, it's, it's uh, James and, 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 uh, Nick, what I tell people is this, look, when you're evaluating a cigar and this is the old way. And I think a lot of people do it. You divide it by thirds. And I always tell people, look. You light up a cigar, that half an inch go through, retrohale. When you're close to that first third, retrohale it again. Then you go to the second, the other third. But to me, the beginning and the ending, it's all about the cigar. The middle, it depends on the transition. And what I look for more is the complexity and the balance in that part. And I always tell people when, when you really want to really retrohale that cigar is in the beginning and the last third, because on that last third, you're going to see how the performance and the consistency of the cigar. And of course, it's going to build up more body. It's going to build up more strength, but you really have. And the other thing is, it's kind of a side note. A lot of people don't understand this. Two things about smoking cigar, and this would go more for James and for Nick, because it's part of what you guys do. For the regular cigar smoker, he's going to light up XYZ brand. He's going to smoke. He's going to enjoy it. He's going to evaluate it. But for people like you guys who are in the media, you're smoking the cigar, but also you are evaluating. So smoking a cigar and evaluating a cigar is two totally different things. 100%. And I try to explain this to people and people go like, I don't get it. And then I don't want to tell people, well, you're kind of stupid if you don't. <laughs> but that's the that's that's the way I see it. People who are evaluating cigars, whether it's to buy uh, to to get a blend made, or to give a score, or like some people don't give scores but just give a review. Evaluating and smoking is totally different to me. It's more, how would you say, more dedication, more brains to it, more uh, open-minded to really uh, evaluate and give a review of cigar. So I would like to hear what uh, James and Nick have to say about that. No, I, I would agree. I think when uh, Joe Cigar Smoker, Jane Cigar Smoker go and they sit down in a lounge, they buy XYZ brand and they're smoking it and they're just enjoying it. It's more of a a social thing. And even if you're sitting at home by yourself out on the patio or in your studio lounge area, uh, and you're just smoking to enjoy the smoke and maybe having some me time, a little, uh, 
introspection, you're not really giving 100% of your focus to the cigar. You're giving enough focus to the cigar to enjoy it and know that you like it. But how many times has somebody smoked a cigar and thought, man, this was great, but they were sitting with all of their friends. They had a great conversation. Maybe they just had a great meal uh, beforehand. And the whole experience elevated that cigar. And they come back to that cigar a month later. They're like, man, I really enjoyed that experience. I'm going to pick this up again. They pick it up and they smoke it. They go, this isn't as good as I remember it being. It's because it's not 100% focused on that cigar. When we review cigars, at least when I review cigars, I dedicate 100% of my focus to what am I tasting? What's the construction? Like, how is the smoke? Like, how many times do people smoke it for enjoyment and go, man, the mouthfeel of this smoke is amazing. Like, the first couple times I reviewed a cigar, I kind of felt like an idiot because I'm like, well, I got to do the mouthfeel. I got to do the construction. I got to do what it looks like. I got to do the box. I got to do all these things that I didn't normally do when I just smoked a cigar to smoke a cigar. So you're right. There's a, there's more focus and there's more more attention to it. But on the, on the uh, topic of reviewers and, and cigars... You said something interesting. You said, you know, you break it down into thirds and that seems to be like the, the industry norm, but, but where did that come from? Because I, what is it a chicken or an egg kind of thing? Did that come from the blenders who are like, I am going to make sure that this transitions, you know, three times during the cigar or, it, or, or is it the reviewers who, who came and said, no, we're going to, we're going to break this into thirds. Like what came first, the chicken or the egg? No, it doesn't go with the chicken or the egg because you got to remember it's all. Remember, when you're making a blend, you got to look at six. You got great old age tobacco, filler binders, and wrapper, but you got six elements. You have the flavor, you have the strength slash body, you have the aroma. Those three typically are not so hard to get. But when you get the complexity, because to me, I don't care how good a cigar is, if from start to finish, it's the same flavor, same strength, same notes it becomes a good, boring cigar. And what's the fifth element? It's the balance. And what is balance to me? Balance is like a symphony where you don't want high notes and you don't want low notes. So when is cigar really in balance? And this has a lot to do with something I said in the beginning with construction. Because let's say Ernie or Carlito or Pepin makes a blend that has... Uh, 30% Ligero, 20% Viso, and the rest Seco. And it has, if it's a Robusto, five leaves. If those leaves are not positioned in the correct place, being the Ligero, the strongest one that has to be in the middle, the blend will not perform. So you have flavor, you have strength, you have aroma, you have complexity, you have balance, and then you have what's called finish. People see and read the reviews that says the cigar was medium to full, bada bing, bada bang, and it had a long finish. People in their minds, 99.9 of consumers think that for you to determine the finish, you have to smoke the whole cigar. And when you smoke an inch or three quarters of an inch, it's going to tell you if it has a long finish a short finish, no finish, or an aftertaste. When do you know a cigar has a great finish? When your lips are tingling and you don't want that cigar to end. So I think that kind of answers because when we're blending, we're not looking for the transitions because when you're evaluated by transitions is one thing, but when you're blending, 
It has to be that those six elements combined together. And I'll give you an example. And it's happened to all of us. How many times do we say we got this three-year Valijero and this two five-year-old Viso and this six-year-old Seco, and we're going to make five different blends out of it with different uh, percentages of that. And then 21 days when we start the process of smoking the cigars, we look at each other and say, like, fuck what? Something went wrong here. Because what happens is that people don't understand that sometimes great tobaccos, it's like a horse race. They're both fighting for first place. So what happens is like a heads-up collision, and the cigars don't harmonize. And then what do you have to do? Or you change a binder, or you go lower on the viso and higher on the ligero, or more cycle. There's a lot of elements that have to go into that. So that's just a short version of... Uh, <laughs> You know, listening, what I think about that. listening to you talk, I'm reminded, I, I asked Pete Johnson once, I said, you know, a lot of these cigar companies come out uh, and they say undisclosed, undisclosed, undisclosed. They don't want to tell people what's in the cigar. And Pete told me, he goes, he's like, I, I don't care. I'll tell you what's, a, what's in there. I'll even tell you what leaf is in there and the percentages. You'll never, nobody will ever be able to recreate it. If I give you the recipe and I give you the ingredients, but I don't tell you in what order things are placed in the cigar itself, you'll never recreate it. Is that true? That's true. And I'll tell you something I've said on many shows. Just think about this. Let's take six people. Hanky Kellner, Carlito, Pepin, Pete, Jorge Padron, and Ernie. You give them all of them, the same amount of filler, the same amount of binder, and the same amount of wrapper. You know what's going to come out? Six totally different cigars. Why? Because each one of them has their style. It's like the chefs, right, Nick? Absolutely. That's exactly the uh, example I like to give is like you could have a Michelin star chef right next to a guy that operates a food truck. I use, maybe it's a bad analogy, but I say chicken. You know, if they're all given chicken, they all can produce different, complete different dishes with the exact same ingredients. And the part that a lot of people seem to forget, you know, I, I say the same thing like Pete says, you know, it's like, yeah, you can, I can tell you exactly what's in the cigar. It doesn't matter. But the part that people don't realize that is a very missing component that nobody really talks about is the fermentation process, because that's what distinguishes one factory uh, from another, you can give them all the same exact tobacco, but if they're, it depends if they're buying it, you know, before or after the fermentation process, because a lot of people referment or ferment at their factory. It's in the cooking. The fermentation is a controlled rotting of cooking of the tobacco and how, what temperature, when do you switch, how hard do you let it get? I mean, you could take the same exact stuff. It's like uh, cooking on a stove. You know, do I let it get too hot? Do I let it go to this temperature? Do I get it low? That is part of the process and the proper, and everybody has their little tricks in tr of the trade and things that they try to do that are better. Some work, some don't, but the cooking process is all part of it as well. It, all these parts are all important in a cigar, the placement of the cigar, everything. It's, it, it's all makes the cigar, right? Right, Jose? You know, I agree. You know, the funny thing about the uh, the the, the five-star restaurant and the guy that's making the chico, the, the right, chicken right. In, in the truck. 
Sometimes yeah. the one the one in the truck is like, wow. Yeah. Sometimes it depends, you know. It really oh, yeah. does. Yeah. No, I am reminded that I am a very, very brave man, and I tell my wife all the time she can't cook because she just follows a recipe, and there's no inspiration. There's no adding this, taking away that, and trying to 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 get it to you know her taste or my taste. Or it's just very bland it's oh uh, this was the recipe i'm gonna follow and then while that works in baking it doesn't work in cooking and apparently it doesn't work with cigars either so let me yeah, ask this ana- go ahead yeah go ahead no no, no ahead, i was man. just the last comment there is the analogy of the the five star you know michelin chef now that could be in it what what related to cigars that could be the established well-known factory that has the pedigree but yet you get a guy that just started out that just has that palate and just is able to touch on something different that may not have the experience, but it's something that they enjoy doing. And you're right. Sometimes the, the food truck can create a, a great meal as well as all, you know, they're all in the same area. And we're, and we're talking about taste. We're talking about flavor. Jose, you mentioned complexity. How much of, because as a reviewer, I'm always, I'm constantly bothered by this. How much of what I'm tasting is objective and how much of what I am tasting is subjective. In your opinion, like what what what's what's the percentage there? Because obviously there are objective flavors you're gonna get from a cigar, right? But I tend to view those as very um generic and broad, like paint with a broad brush type of deal, uh, you know, leather, smoke, baking spot, things like that. But what when when I'm picking out nuances, which goes to the complexity of the cigar, and I'm like, oh, I'm getting chocolate or I'm getting this, like reminds me of walking on a wet forest floor like what what's subjective and what's not i'm gonna put it to you this way and you try after i give you this you you get 10 of the top smokers in the states in a room you give them to the 10 of them the same cigar Draw tested every cigar, humidity tasted every cigar. Exactly. How many opinions you're gonna get? Ten. Exactly. So because what could be, let's say, mild for somebody, could maybe be a full body cigar for somebody. Because you gotta take just take this, and I've been I don't know how many times I've repeated this to media people, to smokers, to colleagues of mine in the industry. Every human being in the world has a tolerance scale from one to 10. There's people that will go to Morton's, have a 32-ounce steak, two big Idaho potatoes, a salad, and you give them a mild cigar and when they light it up, they go, oh, 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 it's too strong. No, the cigar is not too strong. You have a low tolerance scale. When people see them in an airport smoking an opus at 4 o'clock in the morning, they, they ask me, did you come back from a party? No, no, I just got up, had a little bit of coffee in the airport, and I'm out there smoking that. Why? Because I have a, t- a high tolerance scale. So you can't be too hard on yourself. And I tell this to people. If you're sitting next to some guy, and let's say he's smoking one of Pete's cigars. Uh, let's say La Riqueza is one of my favorite cigars. It's uh, I'm picking up spice. I'm picking up sweetness. I'm picking up a great aroma. 
And the guy next to you says, well, you know, I'm picking a bitterness, sourness, and I don't like the aroma. I mean, it is what it is. James, you're going to pick up, you know, not what the guy, what Nick says or, or I say or your best friend says or something you see. It has to be something that you're picking up. Now, that said, is our palates every day the same? Absolutely not. And I'll tell you the main factor. It's called state of mind. And that's why I always tell people when they're going to make a decision on a blend or on a purchase. A purchase on one cigar is okay. But if you want to really, you know, you love the cigar, you know, you want to buy a box of cigars, I tell them two things. Have a very clear state of mind and make that cigar the first cigar of the day. Now, people see me. I start, Now that the weather's been nice for the last few months at 6 o'clock, I'm already smoking. But if you want it, you have to evaluate a cigar with a clean palate. So let's say you don't smoke in the morning. You don't smoke uh, in the afternoon. So your smoke is after you come home, have dinner, and smoke a cigar. Then you smoke that cigar calmly down with a pairing you like, whether it's a rum, a scotch, or coffee, or water, or, or, or maybe nothing. But to me, the palate has to be very clean. And when we're blending cigars, though, you know, we're smoking all day, but that's a cigar that we're working on. It's going to be for a couple of days, the first, first and second cigar of the day. And then maybe if we don't smoke a lot in the afternoon, maybe in the night, how our palate feels. So I think when I see these people that tell me they smoke 10 cigars a day, I ask them, well, no disrespect because you're smoking 10 of my double chateaus. I'm very happy. But I want you to tell me, what are you picking up on cigar number eight, number nine, and number 10? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Nick? Well, it's a habit. I know people that smoke 10 cigars a day and yeah, me too. they, they can't, they can't be without a cigar in their hand. It's part of their, uh, it's psychological, you know, they have to smoke. But are they smoking or no, they're one not. One thing is to they're smoke not. and one thing is to enjoy. Right. Yeah. No, no they're not I, enjoying. They're not enjoying at all. It's, that's it's, a habit. It's a habit at that point for, for those people. Yeah. How many cigars a day do you smoke, Jose? I've cut down, to be honest. I was doing seven, eight. And I'm doing now three and four. Yeah, I, I, that's typically where I'm at. Three or four is is where I'm. I'm trying to cut down. To, I was at four. And I'm trying to get down to three. Nick, where are you at? How many are you? Depends. It depends if I'm out in the shops, you know, selling cigars, promoting my brand, or if I'm home. If let's say not in the industry, not doing anything, I probably will have at least two or three. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, that seems but, to be. I think that's a normal thing, two or three, four, whatever. I think that's fine. Yeah. Uh, Jose, let me ask you this. I want to change gears a little bit because uh, we've talked a lot about the process and we've talked a lot about uh, the cigar itself. I want to talk just a little bit uh, about the industry. We just had a big win with the FDA. Uh, where where do you see the industry in five Because you've been around for a while uh, and you have a lot of knowledge. Where do you see the industry in five years? You know, talking about the win, we did have a big win. And uh, even though, you know, a lot of people uh, 
how would you say, gave a lot of money. But what was decisive was the 10 companies that put up the $600,000. And don't get me wrong, the PCA did what they had to do, but a lot of people fought and didn't believe that the case could be won. And a lot of people didn't give a dime to it because they kept saying, you're throwing money away, you're throwing money away, throwing money away. And guess what? We got a big win. We haven't won the battle. We haven't won the war, but we've got a big win. We still got to wait someday. The way I see the industry, still we're going to see what the FDA is going to do. Because take my word, they will find something to go after us. The government doesn't like to lose. It doesn't matter who's who's there. It's the Democrats, the Republicans, or whatever. The government doesn't like to lose. But let's say that things stay the way they are. What worries me, and this is as honest as I can be, is so many people wanting to get into the industry. After the ruling, I'm not going to mention who, you cannot imagine the amount of people that call me up and says, now that we're safe, you know, I've always wanted to be in cigars, you know, me and, and three partners, you know, we got $150,000. Who do you think can make our cigars in Nicaragua and Honduras, even Mexico? We'll go to Mexico. We'll go to Costa Rica. And this is what worries me that everybody, prices of tobacco have gone through the roof and will continue. There's shortage of filler. There's shortage of wrapper. And with the disaster in Ecuador, I mean, thank God we keep six, seven years of, of inventory and other companies do. But for the little guys and even for some of the middle-sized guys, it's going to be hard for the next couple of years if, again, Ecuador has problems and everybody is trying to get in the business. Because I'm for it, and Carlito says it on our show. We want more people in the industry. But bring excitement. Bring different concepts. Bring different blends, use different tobaccos, do different process to make great cigars. I'm the first one, and the majority of people know that I smoke everything from everybody. When I come back from the PCA, it was RTDA and PCA and IPCPR, I would bring back 150, even 200 samples that people would give me, and I would, you know, smoke them. Some of them took me a year to smoke. But at least anybody who gave me a cigar, they gave me their card. Look, I smoked a cigar. I think this one I liked, this one I didn't like. This one I think you have to do, do, do this to it. But what worries me is so many people wanting to jump into it the incorrect way. You have to do it, first of all, if you're lucky enough to get a established factory to make you the cigars and not one of these guys that have you know just popped up in the last two years that are buying it's and bits of tobacco and then the guy they're making the cigar with comes out on the copy this is a 10 year old a wrapper and a five year old binder and a five year old filler that today you know maybe some people believe it but today, you cannot fool people. Because even that guy that wants that $3 bundle, he wants the best $3 bundle. You could ask for $100 for a cigar, but it has to, uh, has to perform as a $100 cigar. And shows like you and Coop and Half Wheel and, 
and Dave Garofalo and and Eric and all my friends out there that are doing uh, these shows, they're educating people and people are more conscientious of what to look in the cigar. I mean, Nick, you've been around forever, not as long as I, but no. remember the boom days. <laughs> I hope to be. <laughs> 96, 97, there right. were cigars at that time sold for $10 that were not worth 50 cents. <laughs> and if you go to that interview, they did to me as a cigar fish, and a lot of people said, Man, you were tough on that. I said, tough on that? That was the truth. That's yeah. what killed the boom of 96 and 97 was the so many Don wannabes and so many bad cigars out there. So I encourage anybody who's going to get into the business, don't think you're going to sell hundreds or millions of the cigars. If you can only make 10,000 cigars, get somebody to make, make 10,000 good cigars. But don't make 50,000 of underfilled, tight, bad, sour, bitter cigars. Make good cigars. That's my two cents. Don't make shit cigars. I think that's that that th those are words to live by right there. Let, let me let me let me ask you this, Jose. Let me ask you this. Is there room for more cigar manufacturers in the industry? Now, I, I know the canned answer is yes. Like oh absolutely like people can come in, but Having a background in, in retail management, when I walk into a, a, a B&M uh, and they have, let's say they're very well stocked and they have, a, there are a lot of facings uh, that I'm looking at. And for the uninitiated, for somebody who's maybe just getting in, it could be overwhelming. It was overwhelming for me when I first started. What am I going to choose? How am I going to choose it? What's good? What's bad? And there's just every day, it seems like there's more and more and more cigar manufacturers. And, and some of them are adding their voice to the chorus. And some are uh, swimming upstream, so to speak, and really fighting the current and trying to do something different. Is there room in the industry uh, right now for, for more cigar manufacturers to come in? I'll put it to you this way. There's room for anybody to come in. The problem is the longevity. How long are they going to last? Because it's not about making a good cigar once or twice or three times. It has to be consistency, consistency, consistency. That every time you go in and pick that $12 cigar, three of them, 36 bucks, you smoke one, bring two back home, come back two days, you want to come back. But if you buy that cigar today and it has a little tight draw, there's something wrong with it, but you've liked that brand for, you know, for last couple of years, then you buy it again, has a draw problem or it's sour or it's bitter, then there's something wrong. The third time you're going to say, you know, the hell with it. I'm going to go to another brand. Yep. So that's why I tell people, don't rush it. Take your time. Let those cigars age. Buy good old age tobacco. Instead of trying to sell 50000 a month, sell 10000 at a good price, make a profit, and build up little by little the brand. There's I, I, room for everybody. The problem is there's not that much tobacco. There's not enough rollers. And uh, that's my two cents. Yeah, no, there's finite resources all the way around. So if you're getting into it, be very careful it, who you're doing well, business with. And if how I can just add to that, James. There's always room for people that get into this business with the right intentions. 
if you come into this business thinking you're going to make a million bucks overnight and you're going to make a shrine to yourself and it's all about ego, which I see a lot of people get in this business because of ego. If that's what you think is going to happen, then eventually you'll see what happens. There's a lot of people. Yeah. Is it, is it congested? Is it convoluted? Is it like too many people? Yes. But you know what? It does. The people will fall by the wayside. The ones that are not in it for the right reasons, the ones I'm blessed that I can make a living in this industry and can put food on the table. And I'm happy every day doing something that I love. Jose Blanco, you know, he, like he said, most people at his age retire, but you know what, when you love what you do and you're doing it anyway, why retire? You know, make a couple dollars in the process and enjoy what you do. You're not sitting home just smoking. You're out with people and socializing and doing what you do and, and you love what you do. Then then it's not work. And I believe that wholeheartedly. So is there room for somebody that, you know, I get people approaching me all the time. Hey, I want to get in the business. I go, well, what's your reasons I want to get in the business? Why? You know, and if they and I and sometimes I shake my head and at all <laughs> levels, I'm not saying just as a, on a manufacturer level, people in the retail level, the people that want to be brokers, retailers, so many people get into the business. And I just go, oh boy, this guy doesn't realize that he's going to blow his his whatever investment or whatever money he's had to try to do something because he doesn't have the right intent. And it's all like, you know, if you just want to go and do what you want to do. Great. You know, you, it's your money. You spend it the way you want, but there's so many elements, but yeah, it's, it's a fun industry and basically everybody falls off that isn't in it for the right reason. Eventually you can only stand so long before you go away. Absolutely. That, Absolutely. That is, that is so true. Nick, uh, what was the old saying? If you want to make a million dollars in the industry, start with two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the best one because it's so true. If you think, no matter what you think your budget is, no matter what you think, you can't go. I, I just don't know. I mean, there's people that are good business people that are in this industry now, and some have made it, and some with all the business acumen in the world will not make it because it's not just about the dollars and cents. It's not just about the spreadsheet. If you don't have that passion to want to do this because you enjoy it, it's not going to work. I don't believe it'll work in the long run. Uh, let me, percent. Let me, uh, let me start to wrap this up a little bit, but Jose, you've, you've been in the industry um, for many years now. You've seen a lot of trends come. You've seen a lot of trends go. Um, what do you think, in your opinion, was the best trend in the cigar industry? And what is one of the trends that maybe is happening now that you're like, hmm, this might take off? Look, if we go back, let's say, to the boom days, and Nick remembers this, what was the number one selling size? It was Robusto. Lonsdale. Coronas, Petit Coronas, and Churchill's, depending. Because Churchill really is 7 by 46 That was the big one. That was the big yeah. cigar. The Churchill yeah. was the granddaddy. 7, seven, seven by 47 on the mm. Cuban standard. People make it by 48, by 49, by 50. I've seen people call it Churchill 7 by 54. What the hell with it? It's all been screwed up. But if you go to the last five years, what is the number one selling size? Toro, 6 by 54. And what's curious that hardly anybody makes uh, the traditional Robusto five by 50. Now they do five and a quarter by 52, five and a half by, 
by uh, 54 color robusto, but six by 60 is so close. So going back as a person who smoked basically Petit Lanceros, Corona Gordas, and, and, and Robustos, seeing that trend of the Toro for the last, I think, five, six years has been the number one seller. But what I've seen also a little bit is on these more, I'm not going to say sophisticated or professional smokers, but these cigar geeks, what I've seen in the last year and a half is a lot of these people that were smoking a Toro going down to Robusto, a lot of people smoking Robusto, going down to Corona Gordas. I've seen a lot of people also now smoking Coronas, five and a quarter by, by 42 or by 43. It doesn't really matter. Because, look, I have, I really don't uh, dislike people who smoke those 60s, 64, 7 by 70, 8 by 80s. It's just not my thing. I think, to be honest, you enjoy more a cigar because of the smaller ring gauge. And I'll give you an example. I ask people all the time, what percentage and flavor and strength is a cigar? And I go around the room and ask 50 people, and people say 10%, 30%, 50%, 60%. And after I ask the 50 people, I go, and the answer is, depends. And they all laugh. And I say, no, it's a trick question. Take a Robusto 5x50 with a Connecticut wrapper. The influence of the wrapper and the, and the, and the, the influence of the wrapper on strength of strength is going to be 20 to 22%, depending on the price. You take that same Robusto and you put a Corojo Ligero wrapper on it, and it's going to be 55 to 60. You take a Lancero 7.5 by 38 and you put, let's say, a Viso Havano Ecuador on it, it's going to be 75 to 80. Because it's a misconception that people have that think the bigger the cigar, the more flavor, the more strength. It's the contrary. It's the ratio of filler to bind it to wrapper. So the smaller the ring gauge, uh, you're going to pick up more. And then to really kill it, I tell people, well, some people say, I don't believe it. I said, it's very easy. And I think you're honest. That's the first thing you tell them. You tell them they're honest, even if they're not. I said, buy a Corona, five and a quarter by 42. Buy that same blend in the six by 60. Make it the first smoke of the day, two consecutive days or whatever, the way you want to smoke it. And then send me your notes. And nine out of 10 people, or they inbox me or on Facebook or Instagram and Twitter said, Mr. Blanco, you were right. Because it's a misconception that people have. I don't know what Nick has to uh, has to say uh, about that. One hundred percent. You know, it's the geometry for one, but the actual leaf of where it is. My biggest, the thing that drives me crazy is, you know, with Cuban cigars, the wrapper is almost completely insignificant. You know, and I've done the test myself. There's so little that comes out of the wrapper on a Cuban leaf. Um, you could take it off and smoke it with the leaf and without the leaf, and there's the smallest change in 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 the cigar where you get some leaves from other countries, and it's all about it. And and there is I get the same question: what's the percentage? Of course, there's a geometry ratio of leaf to to filler, 
but you know the bigger cigar is all you're doing when you blend a cigar you blend it you know with the core with the core leaves and the core blend then you're adding just filler tobaccos to to make it towards the size and you try to blend to the size but it, it's a lot of filler but a lot of people ask me what cigar should i smoke whatever you feel comfortable with you know some people that are big they want big cigars some people that are you know, and vice versa it doesn't have to be that way as far as trends Yes, the Toro is the biggest selling. There was a time uh, in the last five, six years, there was a gauge going to bigger and bigger cigars, and I didn't get it, but everybody was going bigger. I hope the trend, in my opinion, goes back down to thinner cigars because the Lancero for me is one of the most flavorful in the way you really can appreciate a blend or a thinner cigar, but it's the least seller out there. You know, Nobody's buying the Lanceros. Nobody's buying the thinner cigars. I hope someday as more and more people become educated and understanding cigars, they will try the thinner cigars and realize how much more impactful the flavors will be on a thinner cigar, uh, that the trend will go that way. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned that, Nick, because uh, it's something that Carlito and I, we talk a lot about on the, uh, on the show. Carlito makes mm. jokes about the stretch marks. But, uh, you know, he <laughs> likes a 50 or 52 but you know, yeah. Lanceros, Lanceros, I'm gonna tell you what one of the main problems with Lanceros has been. The majority, not the majority, but a lot of people make some great Lanceros, but the problem is there was Difficult a time- Difficult to roll. Exactly, it's the, people ask me all the time, what's the hardest cigar to roll? Is it the Adema, the Adema Pino, is it a Salomon? Is it a Bellicosa? I tell them no, it's a, it's a Lancero. But going to that, if you remember about seven, eight years ago, everybody was making Lanceros. There were shops that had walls only with Lancero. Right, right. <clears throat> but what was the, the majority of the problem? Many of them too tight, many of them too loose, and some of them were just like not good. To make a great Lancero, and that's why you're never going to see a lot of Lanceros from Fuente, because we only have one guy that makes them. He makes 25 a day, and not only that, it's entubado with seven different leaves. So when people go to the factory, because, you know, our factory is different from all the factories, you know, we have a room only that makes Don Carlos. We have a room that only makes Hemingway. We have a room that only makes Magnum. We have a room only that makes Opus. So everything is different. So a lot of people that have heard it, they go to the factory. I want to see the guy that makes the Lancero. And to see that guy roll up seven leaves to put it into that cigar and that cigar to draw perfectly, I think it's, I think it's the it's best Lancero art. ever made in the world. It's an uh, art it, for sure. It's it is a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> Everything uh, that has to do with, with this, I, I feel is an art from, from seed to shelf. Um, everything in between. I think it, it, it is an art uh, and you are uh, one of the masters, Jose. And I appreciate all of the knowledge that you have uh, and sharing some of it with us. I'd love to have you back on. Cause there's a ton of things we didn't talk about. We could do a cigar one Oh one. Uh, with you and Nick, where you go from from you know planting the seed all the way to to shelf and just everything in between and uh, the fermentation process and, and and all of that and really uh, give the listeners uh, a, a better understanding of what goes into every cigar that is made because you guys, like I said, just masters at what you do uh, and I appreciate what you do and, and and thank you very much for coming on. Tell the folks Jose about uh, Meet the Professor where they can find uh, you and Carlito. Uh, and, and what, what, what do you have, what do you have coming up next? Well, it's been three and a half years now. It was an idea that, uh, 
we were all stuck with uh, COVID. And we used to do it. There was a time we used to do it every day. And then we did it twice a day. That, you know, you can't get so many people. Then when things started to normalize, you know, sometimes we have to do reruns because I travel a lot. Carlito travels a lot. Jeremiah. But one of the main things is that we brought in people that had a story to tell, whether it was a retailer, whether it was a manufacturer, or was a media person, or just a regular consumer. Because the idea is that, you know, we're going to be long gone. And, you know, if things are not written or they're on video where people can see it, a lot of people could change things. So when we say history in the making, we have brought everybody in. Jorge Padron, Nick Perdomo, we brought in Pete, we brought in Gordon Matt, we brought in Dave Sabona, Reinhold, Reinhardt, uh, Benji Menendez twice, Don Alberto Turrain. I mean, everybody, Nick, Skip, uh, Saka, everybody out there that had a story to tell. Because sometimes you read articles, but when you have them live, and you have people that kind of know things and you could get out of interview. And you don't know the amount of people. Maybe a lot of people don't watch it on Sundays, but we see all the people that inbox us, that call us up. You know, I saw the show. I didn't know this about this person. I didn't know the beginnings about that person or that retailer. At the end of the day, what we want is people to, uh, to learn more about what the business is. And if you look at it, Everybody that we have invited has been family-owned business. Nothing against the big guys, but we just see things a little bit different than they do. 100%. I respect that. That's kind of why I started this, uh, you know, almost five years ago is everybody's got a journey. And it's never the destination. Everyone's destination is the same. It's the journey that gets you there. It's the friends you make in this industry. It's 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 the the story of uh, of every one of these uh, and the friends and the people that you make along the way. And uh, I hope I can uh, call you friend now, uh, Jose. It was very nice to have you on. It all and- depends. I got to call Nick later. And get some <laughs> more about he'll, he'll give you the dirt. Clear. He'll give you the uh, dirt. <laughs> the jury's out still there. I know. No, I, I understand. I understand. Nick, you better be nice. You better be nice. Okay. <laughs> I want to introduce him to Tim first. No, please don't. <laughs> Secret sauce my ass. Uh, Jose Blanco, thank you so much for uh, your wisdom and your time today. I really appreciate it. We definitely want to have you back on and do the cigar one-on-one with you and Nick. Cause uh, like I said, you guys have forgotten more than I'll ever know about everything in this industry. Jose, thank you very much. No, James thank, and Nick, thank first you, of Jose. all, thank you. No, thank you very much for the invitation. But let me tell you one last thing I want to say. I'm on, uh, I'm on the show uh, today because to me, reputation means a lot. I get a lot of invites, and uh, but if you're not serious about this, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I can't be part of it, because I've seen some of these shows that turn it into a shit show. Everything is a joke. Everything is political. That's why I say no politics, because my politics is the cigar, the consumer, the retailers, my friends, and the media. Agreed. And and. You have to respect to get respect. And even though Nick and I have not spent a lot of time together, but I know of him. Now I know a little bit about you, even though I've regretted every minute with you, James. <laughs> yes, but I'll be back at the show. 
But you guys are doing a great job, and uh, I encourage you to keep doing it. Try to get in people that can add value to consumers, to retailers, even to your fellow colleagues uh, in media. Do we need more media? Absolutely not. Do we need better media? Yes, there's always room for good media. So to everybody out there tonight, you know, remember one of the things that I've always said as a joke. You could have a cigar that was rated 100, that's going to taste well, that's going to burn well, and there's only one thing that could ruin it. And take my word, it's not your wife. It's an asshole. The asshole is the only person that can ruin a perfect cigar. <laughs> that's true. That is 100% the company you the keep. Truth. Yeah. Iron sharpeneth iron, I think is the old proverb. Uh, Jose Blanco, Arturo Fuente, a, a legend. I, I can't, I'm uh, very happy, excited. Oh, Carlitos humbled. here, Carlitos here. <laughs> that, that, uh, that, that you came on, Jose. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, Nick, thanks for uh, thanks for holding down the fort while I was gone. Thanks for being a part of uh, the show. And uh, join us next week, guys, where uh, we'll have the clear the air with Tim and the secret sauce. And uh, we'll talk about Jose behind his back uh, and then put it out there for everybody to listen to, including uh, Mr. Blanco himself. And then he can call Nick and yell at Nick. Um, <laughs> until next time, uh, stay smoky, friends. 